Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, what's up? I'm Poppy Ajuda and welcome to The Power In Us, a podcast where I use the songs of my debut album to propel into conversations around feminism, social change, mental health, empowerment, and so much more. So stay tuned for big chats with inspiring people. This song is Play God, and we'll be talking with Nadia Nadi. Nadia, how are you? Good, I'm really good. I'm actually, um, I'm actually amazing. I'm actually feeling in a really good headspace. That is great. Like I, I just realized that being happy is a decision, mm-hmm. and, I, and I decide to be happy. And um, the kind of trials and tribulations of life are consistent, but I've reached a point in my life where I choose to be happy. And um, I'm very grateful for that. How are you? That is a great answer. That's a great way to be. Thanks, man. Trying. Yeah. I think I've tried everything. <laughs> this is where I've arrived at. But I, I agree. I think that like you, every day that you make a choice, you choose your future. Yeah. And if you're, the choice that you're making is to find solutions, to find light in people, to mm-hmm. see the best side. Obviously, you have to be sensible and, and not naive. But I think like that's a great way to be. And that energy builds Mm -hmm. if you spend your whole life feeling negative about the way the world is then by the time you're 40 you're going to be like 100 percent, and you attract that energy as Mm, well right exactly like i always feel like it differentiated now between the people i want in my life and the people i don't is like people who walk into a room and they notice how bright it is Mm. first thing as opposed to like how dark it is Mm. and like that analogy is consistent through like what they see in people or the gossip that they hear like are they really quick to be negative about a given situation mm. or are they looking to like give benefit of the doubt to a given situation? And I think that's really what the world needs right now, considering like just everything we've all gone through over the last two years, like perspective, compassion, 100%. empathy, and openness. I, and I know personally I've gone through shitloads over the last two years and I'm just tired, tired of being angry, tired, tired of being upset, sad. Like I just know for myself that I need to feel like there's something worth living for. Mm. Like I want to be people around who want to build and grow that world or imagine imagine future that mm. i want to be part of and my kids to be part of um so yeah i choose to be happy yeah and for anyone that doesn't know listening you're a food enthusiast you're 
a journalist, an explorer, like you travel the world, you're newly a TikToker, just smashing the TikTok scene. Gen Z. Hey. So hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, storyteller, I guess. Yeah, storyteller, exactly. Um, and every now and then. And you're I, amazing at doing oh, that. Thanks, that's very kind. It's amazing. Now we learn from people like yourself. No, but yeah, I'm a storyteller and I find like different vehicles in which to tell those stories. Mm. Um, and I, I love telling stories through food. Um, food is such an accessible medium. You know what was crazy about food, Poppy, was like, I've always like loved eating and, and I've always cooked since I was younger. But you know, the stories I tell are broadly about like being like a minority mm. and expressing that experience. Yeah. And whenever I would tell these stories, I felt like people outside of my experience wouldn't be able to relate. Mm. Um, but then I started using food as a medium to tell my story. And then suddenly all these people from outside. Food is so universal exactly, in that sense. Yeah. So I found it like it was a really incredible vehicle to like, yo, I'm gonna entertain you with some food that you wanna eat and people love it. They're like, wow, this food's incredible. Mm. I'm gonna slip in a story about me and who I am and yeah. my experience. Which is, I think um, you've really figured that one out in terms of how to tell those stories and how to engage people in a way that is really educational, but also very intimate. But it's especially on that point of food and on you growing up and loving food and, and cooking and everything, um, this episode is very much about gender, about feminism, the song Play God is about equality and about men who play God and talking about the norms in which we internalize, which make us stick into these boxes. Mm -hmm. And so why I really wanted to talk to you is because I think that there are certain ways we see masculinity and femininity, and especially for men, those ways can be very regimented. And as someone who like, was very interested in food, very interested in cooking, um, Food and like preparing food and being a caregiver is often seen as like a very gendered space. It's mm -hmm. often like reserved for, for women. And so I was interested to know like how you got into, you sparked that interest. Cause I remember hearing your mom say that your dad was the one that was really great at cooking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, and that you learned from him. And so like, I was just interested to know like how that was received growing up, like that enthusiasm and, and how that developed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great observation. I think like, um, you know, what are the things that inform gender for me growing up? It was like my faith, mm. uh, my culture, two very different things. Mm. Um, and being multicultural in my house, because I'm mixed, there were different cultures informing my gender in different ways. Um, people were very surprised to see my dad cooking in the kitchen. Mm. Um, and from particular cultures, people were shocked that he was the one that would cook the big meals. And, and, what, and what would they say? Like, would they say things? Just the, the thing of what you can imagine. It's like, oh, yeah. Quad cooks. And then, um, and be very surprised, almost expecting my mother to be the one that was in the kitchen, whatever. Mm. And I grew up in that environment, which my parents continually tested these kind of gender norms. Mm. And I think, um, I really believe parents shape your perspectives later on. Well, that's so, like such a clear example. Yeah, definitely. And it's such a minor thing, really, if you think about it. It's just like, yeah. Food. But really, I think it's those minor things every day that are indicative of like a bigger thought process that my parents both had. But also and normalizing it. Yeah. Like in a small way, normalizing it then, like especially as a child, you're just like, oh, then this is fine. Yeah, yeah. This like, is okay. And like my mom didn't like blow the trumpet and like clap for my dad cooking because it was mm -hmm. such an amazing thing. It was, it was normal. Mm. So I grew up in that environment. So I felt like when I went out to the broader world and I would, people would try to project these roles onto me. I was like, I don't really recognize this. This is mm. alien to me. Um, what was weird is I grew up thinking my experience was a 90%, but it wasn't actually like... Yeah, I think that it's amazing to have those progressive views in your parents. Yeah. And I think like I had that to some extent in the sense that I grew up mostly with my mum. And because it was my mum and it, there was three of us, me and my sisters, 
mostly growing up unless I was at my dad's house, she was the person who did everything. So to her, it was like, well, I'm going to do it because there's no one else to do it. So I'll yeah. do the plumbing. I'll do the, my mom would be an electrician, a plumber. Like yeah. she would do everything. So it was never like, to me being a very independent person and not looking towards someone else for them to be able to do it for me was very naturalized in me. And I think that's what has made me such a kind of forthright person. Yeah. So I think like, I think part of why I wanted to have this conversation is because so much of what we understand the world to be in and also how we want it to be is conversations and communication and like normalizing our experiences and seeing a different view because I think a lot of us we internalize these ideas about who we have to be in order for it to be who we, we will become it's almost like a lie sold to us like the idea of masculinity or toxic masculinity when it when it's actually like problematic for your own mental health and the people around you yeah, yeah, yeah. is that like you're sold this idea that that's who you have to be in order to fit in and in order to be successful because that's what's valued as mm. a, being a man in society certain toxic masculine traits mm. are what are seen as you know the things that will get you further yeah and like absolutely and I, I, I kind of feel sorry for men who like are kind of subject to that kind of because I think it's a miseducation. It is. It's a conditioned expectation that they have. And I think, like, even till this day, with so much nuance and so much, like, uh, exposure to conversations around masculinity, I really feel like conversations around masculinity are so surface level mm. in, com in comparison to the conversations women are having mm. around femininity. And, like, I think with, when we talk about men, we don't, like, where we reach is men don't talk about their feelings. Mm. Um, men, you know, uh, they think that their significance is their ability to provide. Mm. And it stops there. And I think what we, what the kind of conversations around masculinity is lacking is depth mm. and like going into the specificities and the granulars of why men think a certain way. And I think that really needs to be investigated. And but I, I, on that point, I think in order for that to be investigated, the communication has to be there. Yeah. And there has to be those conversations about what you are actually feeling. Because I think that's the problem is that like assuming that, oh, these are the pillars of masculinity. And so this must be why yeah, men are having these problems. Because, you know, the, the issues that we're fighting with feminism, this is because men have a problem. You know, women are the, not the ones that have a problem. And when I wrote this song, it's about men facing the things that are killing women, but also killing them. Mm -hmm. You know, like male suicide is the highest of all suicide. Mm -hmm. Like male violence is so high. Like we're, we're, the reason that I wanted to have this conversation is because we're still facing the same issues that we've been facing forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think about like lockdown and domestic violence went up and then abortion rights have been rolled back completely in America. So this is so pertinent that we're having this conversation now. And I think sometimes when you're in these bubbles where all the men around you are like progressive or like feminist, because most of the men I know would call themselves feminists, like we forget that there are so many men around the world that don't think that way that like mm. still want to adhere to these certain rules that actually confine everyone. Yeah, I mean like, and are they really feminists? Yeah, well exactly, that's, that's not well, like, thing. You know, cause I feel like whenever I have to have this conversation, I feel like I have to like def define what we mean by these definitions. You know what's so stressful about this, sorry, is that like, there's like so many layers. It's like we finally got men <laughs> to acknowledge that calling yourself a feminist doesn't make you like, Oh yeah, some liberated, or incredible. Like, oh yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like, I think like half of men don't even want to acknowledge the word feminism because it's like, oh, that just means you hate men yeah. on a basic level. 
And then we've got a lot of men to acknowledge that like feminism is a great thing and it's about quality. But then the men that do say that, are they actually feminists? And how do they embody that? And how do they treat the women around them? It's tough. It's tough. And also like, you know, feminism as, as a term means so much different things to different people. And like, mm. you know, someone might, someone might like support what you might envision to be mm. like feminist ideals, but then like, you know, something or disagree with how someone else might like define that moment. I think for me, it's really, I, I, just, I just think these are real human issues. Mm. And I think like they're not necessarily gendered at all. I think the reason why male conversations are surface level is because we think they're male conversations. They're not, they're like, mm. women need to be on board in these conversations also. And like, um, you know, some of the, the person that's instilled the most, what from what I understand, male or masculine energy to me is with my mother. Mm, that's so interesting. Right? It's not been like- Wait, explain that. Well, my mother was like, you know, I, well, at one level I felt like I was my mother's project, <laughs> right? She was like, I think at one level she felt like she had like lost so much faith in humanity that she wants to raise a son in which she was proud of, mm, um, wow. which was difficult also to like, um, to live up to at times, mm. but like, um, um, but my mother was a, an incredible educator, role model to me and inspiration. And, and I think that informed my ideals and my ethics as well going on in the future. Little things like when my mother would see me um, naturally as a teenager absorbing whatever condition masculinity might be around me she would stamp it out mm. she would challenge me be quite ven not venomous that's, that's wrong, <laughs> but she would be quite stern yeah in making sure i understood exactly why this is what problematic. that because yeah. she could see what that might turn into men and women aren't having enough of these conversations together and it was really interesting because i um was talking to my friend and i especially because this song is called play god and it's a feminist song and it's a song that's about abortion rights and a lot of issues that you know maybe some people would be like why are you speaking to a man like don't in terms of like centering a man in a conversation about women's rights but to me the problem is men and i think that we don't have enough insight into like how to change it we're not engaging men enough in the conversation because i have to deal with men every day mostly i have to deal with men so actually the people that you know i don't have problems with the women around me in terms of like my safety or like you know do you know what i mean and so i feel like that conversation is so important into understanding how it develops. Mm -hmm. And like, was there a moment where you remembered first having toxic masculinity like imposed on you or being asserted? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah 100%, I'm trying to think of a good anecdote. By other men around you or family members or a moment where your mom had to kind of stamp it out because she saw it happening. There have been moments for me, like I remember, you know, from the little, little, you know, minor petty things from growing up and you know, I remember being at my auntie's house and my uh, my cousin was clearing clearing the table, mm. right? And then I picked up, you know, I was raised, you Your clear the table. Yeah. And I was I was raised, you clear the table. Mm. And we were in Kenya, so this is happening in Kenya. And my little cousin, my big, my bigger cousin, who's a female, is picking up the plates. And then I'm picking up the plates with her. And then my auntie's like, sit down, don't mm. worry about it, right? And then I'm like, um, okay, and I put the plate down and my mom like grabs my arm. <laughs> And she's like, take the plate, <laughs> right? But like, if looks could kill, <laughs> yeah. this was like literally a stab. It felt like she was like, literally yeah. like, you know, you disobeyed. Terrified, yeah. yeah. So then I pick up the plate again. And Marty's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. She'll do it. She'll do it. And then I'm confused. I'm like this nine-year-old boy. Mm. And then I pick it up again. And my mom's like giving me just this look again. And I just picked up and took the plate in the kitchen. Now, what was really happening in that interaction, right? It was like my mother was understanding that there is a cultural no, tendency yeah, totally. to like 
condition young men to feel like they can sit whilst women are coming and cooking and cleaning for them. Mm. And she was worried that her son would kind of absorb that mm. and they would play well, you would have. line a hundred percent. So like so even but even in the even even in the safety of a loving family. Yeah. This was my auntie's house. Your mom house. was on it. I love your mom, man. But like you need we all need moms like this <laughs> mom everywhere. But like but what I'm Can saying. Can she adopt us all? <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, not too late. Hey, I'm hurt for a lot of reasons as well. That woman. No, I'm kidding, I love her a lot. Ups and downs, ups and downs. But another thing another thing was relationships. Yeah. Mm. And other things was like my mother was intent that I would never be disrespectful in given relationships. Mm. And like um and she would almost be more harsh on me. And I remember actually being very vulnerable with her and being like, I, th- I feel like, she, I feel like she puts too much on me. Mm. And like, as if like, I'm not a bad, I'm not a bad guy. Like, mm. why, why are you doing this or saying this to me? Yeah. And she was like, you know, the reality is, is that you as a man have certain privileges and access and, and, and advantages that you, we have to be more stern with you. Mm. And she, she was very real. She was like, I don't like it when people compliment you physically. I don't like it when people like, you know, say certain things about you or gas you up or whatever, because she says it gets to your head. And as a man, these can play out in quite difficult ways. ways. So like, I have to be more restrained to you as I would like my daughter, because the traps you can fall in are a lot more vast and a Mm. lot more dangerous for other people more than just yourself. Mm. So like, she's so intelligent. So stuff like, but yeah, but like for me, like I see the wisdom in that, but like growing up as a young man, it was difficult also. Yeah, of course. Because like I was a good boy. I was innately a good boy, Mm. but to feel like, at every given opportunity, I couldn't, you know, someone couldn't say something nice to me. Well, I guess you were, I mean, yeah, that, that is, that's, that's hardcore, but I think you're, le- you, in that time, you were learning, which is better that you learned it then than now, yeah. that actually equality can feel like oppression if you've always had the head start. Which is a very good point. And you learned that young. Exactly. And so now when you're older, because I think as a man, obviously you have certain privileges and certain you're high and you know you work out and like there's a lot of things that you make you masculine mm. which would help in terms of like the way that you move through the world yes. because masculinity is seen as preferable right. and and is seen as superior in some ways but then i think it's finding that balance where like you have a lot of female friends you're very communicative you're mm. very like empathetic empathetic and emotionally available yeah. and all of those and that like, you love cooking and like you subvert what the gender norm is. Yeah. And imagine if like your mom had never installed those values in you. And because also like being on top feels good. Like it 100%. feels great to be the best, to be the one that everybody likes when you walk into a room, to be able to like, you might walk into the, a room and smile and everyone's like, oh, Nadir is such a good looking young man and like blah, blah, blah. Mm. And your sister might walk into the room and smile. And the way that she receives 100%. attention means a different thing. Oh um, yeah, that definitely played out in our house. Do you know like, what I mean? I like when, if sure. she's re- receiving attention on her beauty or yeah. her smile, that adds to her value as being a wife or being a caregiver or like, it doesn't add to like her strength and, and prowess in society. 100%. Which 100%. I feel with like so many men when they walk into space, I feel the difference mm. of like, what that means mm. and it, and it's kind of under the surface yeah, yeah almost no absolutely and like i know with my sister that played out very differently we had exactly the same parents exactly mm. the same house but the kind of challenges she grew up with were very different and she felt that mm. i felt she felt like you know my sister's incredible she's super dynamic naturally talented but i think she felt very insecure mm. in the shadow of an elder sibling elder male sibling mm. in the sense that i was always a dynamic one social one setting the table greeting the guests and she always felt like, the, 
you know, she never wanted to compete with me because she'd lose one. But she also had lots of physical insecurities about herself and how she looked because people would compliment mm. me a certain way. And like... Um, and also probably made her more aware of her body. Exactly. Because women are made aware of their body so young. 100%. So then these were things that I realized that she was going through that I just had no idea, mm. no reference for, right? Um, so growing up, I've, I've really learned that she, she went through a unique experience than I, even though we grew up in exactly the same variables. And did you guys ever talk about that? Yeah. Later on, I think it became a lot more evident. I think as I was going through it, I was probably hadn't really acquired the radar to figure out mm. that at the time. But... Um, but yeah, it was a it was it was a lear- it was a learning process for sure. But you know so what I think of with my mother is and my parents. One of the probably the most unique things about my father was he wasn't threatened by how mm. you know empowered and opinionated my mother was, mm. and that for me was my north star of masculinity. Mm. Right, like my father w- knew my mom was badass just as smart as he was, mm. just as good ideas as he was. And they worked in very similar fields. So like they would work together often mm. um, in the activism space and journalism, et cetera. And my mom would be present in every meeting. Mm. She would be present in conversations around the table about politics and you know culture, whatever. And uh, that taught me that like, there is no division between my mother and father between like, who is competent, who is capable, and who is like has a right to say something in a given moment. Mm. And it said a lot for my dad. I mean, of course, no parents are perfect, but my, for my dad to ha- you know see that in my mother and to know when to keep quiet and let my mother speak because she probably knows more about something mm. was really shaping. For but it's also without ego, you know yeah, what I exactly. mean? That's real like yeah. love and also teamwork. 100%. Is that I think a lot of people often enter relationships and they don't plan to be a team. Yeah, yeah. When really you should be choosing someone who is going to help you grow, is going to challenge you, is is going to pull out the best version of you. Yeah. But I think that's what I mean when I think masculinity is toxic, especially in terms of heterosexual relationships. When you put the other person in a space where they're um, submissive and, and you're giving them roles which they can't come out of, if that's caregiving, if that's cooking, cleaning, like any of those things, which I think a lot of women, even in like a very progressive society, still fall into actually you're stopping yourself from having a great teammate that you can share ideas with, that you can share space with, that you can be creative with, that you can bond with. Because if you're not cooking together, if you're not like sharing rules and sharing like your space properly, you're not yeah, yeah. really learning to work together ever. 100%. You know what, like, so just to reverse engineer the situation with my father is like, why does a man feel threatened mm. in that environment? If a, his, you know, if, a, if a woman or his girlfriend or his wife or in a heterosexual context why does he feel threatened by the thought of a partner knowing more than them about a given situation or doing something better than them in a given situation and i think a lot of it is kind of i'm making assumptions but like let's assume you're not feeling particularly insecure in Mm. who you are and the work that you do in the case of my parents i really think it's because they shared certain values and i really think their spirituality helped define Mm. that and I think they both felt like they were building for something bigger. Mm. That whatever worldly ideas of gender in that moment was mm. superfluous. They weren't really significant. It was like my mom and dad really believed in a shared vision for what they wanted from the world, socially, spiritually, politically. And um, they were the team to make that happen. So, I, I, And I guess to me, that's the difference between like masculinity and toxic masculinity yeah. where you know, I'm not saying being masculine is bad, but I think it's toxic when it stops you from being able to acknowledge the people 
like acknowledge the reality around you. It, that, I think that's the issue for me. You, when masculinity is toxic, the ego is pushed in a way that what you're seeing around you isn't your reality. And you can't be real with yourself about who you are or what you want or, you know, if you're not good at something, that's fine. Work at it and then get better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like feeling like you have to be the best and in order to be the best, someone else has to be not as good as you. Yeah. And that makes you feel the best. Well, that means that you're not where you need to be. No, I, I, you know, the idea of toxicity is really interesting for me. I think like, um, why are men behaving in the way that we are frustrated with, with them by? To me, a lot of it is like, you know, the modern world has like shifted in the last hundred years more than it has in the last like mm. 5,000, right? Mm. And I think like traditionally, you know, we as humans had like, we had very defined roles because they played a very practical purpose, right? Mm. You know, um, gender roles were shaped by the given environment, hunter gatherers, mm. you know, uh, nest builders and village keepers. And, and these were very real like needs at that given time. But now over the course of modernity, like these roles are very different, right? Like the men aren't going and slaughtering a lamb <laughs> a day and bringing that back for their village, etc. Yeah. Right? They're not as like archaic and like primordial as they once were. So in a modern context in which like, you know, men and women and their competencies are aligned, mm. where they could be like earning and providing on the same level. What does that mean in terms of family importance? Now, um, for me, I feel like men have felt like their importance is getting less and less. Mm. And like just as any beast that you cage in a corner, it's going to thrash mm. once it feels like its self-importance is being challenged mm. or its survival. All your is world challenged. is changing. I think everybody exactly. panics when what they understand to be true changes. Because yeah, yeah. if the thing that you thought was so integral to you is changing, then what does that mean for everything else about your identity? I don't even think they identify it as changing. I think they identify it being stolen. As being, yeah, to be right? fair. So like yeah, changing yeah. is like there's an acceptance that it will change into something. Mm. And I'm cool with that. But like, they feel like it's being taken and, not, and nothing's being replaced by it. And that's the problem, right? Mm. Like for me, it's like, how are we making men understand that their importance is consistent? Like you're still important, you're still <laughs> needed, but it might not be in the way that you identify with back in the past. Yeah. I don't need you to be like pillar of strength, ubo macho man who's gonna protect me from the big enemies from the other village down the road, mm. because that's not the world we live in anymore, right? But like strength in this given context means something entirely different. And strength might mean like softness. It might mean like emotional support. It might mean other things. Mm. But, but I think men have just not identified what their, their, their significant role is in society today. And it reminds me of this story of, um, you know, a really famous psychologist went to some indigenous villages in South America to really understand like alternative medicine around mental health. And he arrived at this village because he wanted to cure depression and mm. he was just looking for alternative medication. And he arrived in this village which was famous for, you know, having some of the happiest people. And there was someone who was depressed in this village and um, he had broken his leg. He was a farmer, a rice farmer, mm. um, and he had broken his leg and he had become depressed because he, this thing that he was doing his whole life, which was like gathering this rice, had gone, mm. had been taken away from him. And he fell into a spiral of depression because that was his, his, mm. his thing. That right? was his identity. Exactly. So then the villagers from this village uh, didn't prescribe medication or anything chemical to him. He came back a few months later, the psychologist, and found the man had been given a cow, right? Mm -hmm. And like the village basically had identified that his sense of importance is what needed replacing. There was nothing wrong with him. Mm. It's just that that energy needed to be shifted somewhere else. As in like he needed something to look after? He needs something yeah, to do? Yeah, like, so like a, a reason to contribute to this village mm -hmm. context, right? Mm -hmm. And like the village came together and identified that as nothing wrong with him. 
It's just that his sense of purpose and what role he plays in this village dynamic is what needed shifting and changing. And I think it's a good analogy in the context of men and understanding like we're moving into a different world mm. um, with different definitions and ideas of everything. Where are men situated in this context? And like, but it's, I think it can be hard to have that mm. compassion for a group that has caused a lot of harm over the years. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, 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 how do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting because I, I, I love that you're talking with such compassion, and I think a lot of people. Obviously, you're a man, but a lot, a lot of people find it hard to do that because when you're faced with your oppressor, it's hard to see their humanity. 100%. And I, I was listening to another podcast about incels. And I think in order to change anything, you do have to understand someone's lived experience. And actually, a lot of these people who hate women and like they make it their life's work to like bring women down. These incels, like they feel oppressed. They feel on the fringes of society that a lot of them are like white working class men who feel like their roles have changed. And actually when people aren't acknowledged and when people aren't valued and when people aren't loved around them, it does fester hate inside. And it's like, how do we create that change generations forward so that it's, it's not because I think all abuse of power, all abuse, all like negative feeling comes often if you haven't been treated well at some point in your life or you weren't loved the way you wanted to be loved or you had a parent that didn't accept you the way you wanted yeah. to be accepted, accepted or you internalized the idea of love in the wrong way because yeah. of how it was given to you. 100%. I think a lot of that hate is probably justified in, in most cases. Mm. I think like uh, for me, I... I I always wonder, okay, so what does retribution in that context look like, right? You have justified hate and like you've been wronged and, and there's a society in need of healing. Now, what what's the solution to that? Mm. Is it a... Well, yeah, both sides need healing. <laughs> right. But is it yeah. a continuation of that cycle of hatred? No. Is that what's going to heal that situation? No, exactly. But what yeah. does like people coming together in, in, in a compassionate way with the intention of like making society better for the future? What does that look like? Like, can a person who's been wronged and feeling hated find compassion within themselves to forgive and build? Mm. Like, and, and no way do I want to undermine the experiences of people that I've had as a result of gender-based violence. Mm. But I also resonate with this on a race level. Like, mm. um, but at what, you know, it reminds me just like that whole Mandela approach, right? Yeah, Especially yeah, yeah. in a race context. It's like, there's a nation to be built here. Mm. And like, how do I see beyond what's been done to our people in hopes of building a better future? And, and maybe I'm being a bit idealistic and hopeful. I think there are different perspectives and different yeah. routes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of amazing people who do amazing things for the world and they have different routes to getting there. And we see that with a lot of like the big cultural figures that have created change. You know, there are nonviolent practices, there are violent practices, and both have got us to the point that we are here. Yeah. And I'm existing with privileges that people, women or people of color like, 30, 40, even 20 years before me wouldn't have experienced. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. Those choices they made and they, they were made made on their life experiences. Mm. So I wouldn't say there's any right way or wrong way, but I agree. I think that there is like collective healing that needs to be done. Mm. And, and maybe part of that process is like controlled hate. <laughs> Sometimes people just need to be able to express that they've been wronged, right? Well, this is the thing. And you not, need to be able yeah. to be honest. And like, as a man, maybe I need to hear that, mm. right? And that's the thing about having honest conversations. Mm. It might be hard for me to hear. Yeah. But maybe like, you know, I've learned that 
a lot of the time when I'm defensive, and this is me personally talking, like um, there's an ego that I have that I've been battling with myself is that, do I need to be seen as right? Do I need other people mm. to like identify me as being right? Or do I need to do the right thing? Mm. And I think what's happened is that God, the universe, powers that be have put me in situations where like that clash has felt very mm. prominent. And like, there might be a moment where someone attacks me for let's say a hypothetical gender situation. Mm. Now, do I sit and just absorb that? <laughs> hypothetical gender situation. I have never been criticized. <laughs> 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 Hypothetically, uh, someone said this to me. I'm like, I'm the first person <laughs> yeah. online to cancel himself if I was a regular. No, but like imagine, yeah, so imagine that situation and imagine like um, someone, um, you know, I, I, do I have big enough shoulders to hear that mm. and not feel like I've been personally attacked? Mm. But maybe it's part and parcel of like someone else's healing. But that's to me, that's emotional intelligence. That's being under, being able to understand that even if what someone's saying to you is directed to you, it might not actually be about you. Yeah, yeah. And that's being able to see them and to yeah. see their pain and acknowledge. Because also even something that you've done might be a buildup of someone else's experiences and you're the trigger that yeah, yeah. actually makes them react. But what happens when that hatred is directed at people who mean well? And like what happens is that our, each one of our traumas can affect other people mm. and hurt them as well. Like for me, like the idealist in me doesn't want any more anybody else to get hurt, right? It's being like, look, like we've all been hurt in our own ways. And of course, some people more than others, genders more than others. Like how are we moving compassionately forward, right? Like. How are, we, how are we ensuring that no one else enters another cycle of hatred? And like, I think a lot of men feel, and I'm being devil's advocate, trying to understand from the other side is that maybe a lot of men feel like they're being attacked for things that they might not be identified, they might not identify with, mm. right? And they, they get scared by that because it's like, it feels like a, a witch hunt mm. in which, in a game in which they don't necessarily feel like. Well, it's also not wanting to take accountability for right. how you might be part of a system. Yes. And we, and we can all be part of systems of oppression. We all have different le levels of, of privilege in different ways. And sometimes it's hard, especially if you're an oppressed person in another way, to acknowledge that you might have a privilege that oppresses someone else because you want to see yourself as the person that's oppressed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's having that mindset of openness and understanding and also being able to see outside of yourself because what, what you're saying, I don't actually think it's idealistic in the sense that it's idealistic when you think about it in terms of like the whole world just like changing with a blink of an eye. But it's not in the sense that if everybody put those practices into their everyday life of listening to each other more and instead of being defensive, thinking, oh, why does that make you feel like that? How can I be different? Mm. How can I help you through this? And instead of this, like, instead of having this I don't have to be anything for anyone else. I'm this independent person in the world and I've done no wrong, which I'm not saying everybody has that perspective, but I think we can all be like victim to being like that sometimes that actually, if we were to be able to have these type of conversations all the time with everyone around us, with our partners, with our friends, mm. then we might see that generational change yes, in the way that, that you face things head on. And in terms of like dissolving that hatred or that conflict or that way of dealing with things that I think comes from trauma, but we have to consciously yeah. untrain ourselves. And, and on that point, I wanted to ask you, do you have those conversations with other men? Are those conversations happening? Um, not as many as I'd like. Mm. And like, even for my own work, I've always wondered how I would have that conversation publicly. 
Does it come up though, even in like interpersonal conversations? With some men, mm. I think um, some men have acquired the vocabulary to be able to have this conversation. Some men haven't. Mm. And like, we're talking about a huge thing. We're talking about like every, you know, if you think of every human as a universe of experiences, right? Mm. And they're all entering this conversation at different times. And they've all experienced different traumas, different life experiences. Yeah, yeah. It's so complicated. And like some people like I chat, I might say something and I do a lot publicly, I say certain things about some men, women, like gender, race, whatever. But it will resonate with people who have arrived at a similar situation that I have in that given moment. Mm. But for people who, throughout their own experiences, they're entering at different times. And I think mm. what, what we can easily do is like belittle people who haven't arrived yet. Mm. Or make an assumption that where we've arrived is where they will also. Mm. And like for me, it's very difficult to like ascertain who can have these conversations with me. Do, do I have them as much as I'd like? Probably not. Mm. Um, I'm trying to figure out for myself publicly how I would have that conversation. Um, and you know what it is you know what I've come I've learned through that 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 kind of process I've learned that sometimes you have to abide by the rules of masculinity the kind of stereotypical to be relatable enough Mm. to help raise them to a point where you want them to be I actually completely agree and I wouldn't have agreed with you maybe two years ago because I think I kept well when I came out of uni I had this really radical like way of thinking I had all these huge words that only me and my friends could understand yeah, yeah. and I was doing all these things that were very insular to a certain type of group and a certain type of people and they're not even really the people I needed to reach exactly. we we're all just like fluffing Echo our chamber, own e- yeah, egos and actually I realized that I needed to be having these conversations with people that were never having these conversations 100%. before that maybe didn't have access to those spaces or those conversations, mm-hmm. those parents that had that vocabulary or those schools or those universities because I was kind of one of the view of my university that was even in that space. And I felt like completely intimidated and out of my depth with the type of people that I was there with. So if you've been in circles of people that have never had those conversations before, that have never questioned those ways of being, that have mm. never been around women who have been outside mm. of the box of like gender norms, then you're just, you're starting at a completely different place. But that doesn't mean like, it's like, it's what we were talking about earlier before we started recording about you can't be upset with people about not knowing certain things Mm. if they really haven't got there yet in terms Mm. of knowing it. And actually they might find that they are interested in trying that new way of being have they had the right people to make them aware of it or like make them feel what it could feel like to understand a different concept of what masculinity was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, exactly the word that I love that you use is ego. And I think a lot of it is acknowledging my own, our own, mm. and like being like, and maybe it's an age thing. I just think something about yeah. being young is like, you know, F this, it's my way, and this is how we should do it. We should bulldoze mm. the system, blah, 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 blah. But as I get older, I realize the, the importance of slowly building community and mm. like, and, and making them think a certain way. But And understanding that we might not all have the same views, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't all want to get to the same place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like one thing I'm realizing is like, yes, I think if we were able to provide a relatable means for which men can understand themselves in a more expansive way, there are some men that don't want to, mm. right? Like there are some men who enjoy the privileged position that they're going to be in. Yeah, yeah. And there are, so, there are some women so lost in the misogyny that mm. they believe they're happy in that system also. Mm. So like, you know, it's it's tough because how do you, how do you come and, be morally self-righteous to communities of people who've set very different standards and criteria for how you might want to live your life. But to me, I think that my ideal thing would be that everybody is aware of Mm. the choices and they 
still choose that because they want it like if you want to be in a very traditional heterosexual marriage where like the man does the traditional thing and the woman does the, that's fine if you're happy if you've made the choice to do it not because you think you're obliged not because you think you have to right like you have to serve another person like right. no human was born to serve someone else like absolutely 100%. we were born to share space and share ideas and like blossom yeah. and you can't blossom but what like for example like real real practical examples from people from my own community is that like uh you know men controlling you know, there's a lot of huge argument about men having an opinion about how women dress. Mm. So like, let's say, you know, I'm a Muslim, obviously, but there's lots of controversies around, for example, a woman wanting to wear hijab, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And for what happens is, is that a lot of women, intelligent women, with very expansive and open and liberal progressive ideas about their faith, mm. choosing to wear a hijab, mainstream society still sees them as being like, indoctrinated by some sort of parochial religion but, right? but that's to me that's being able to understand different types of liberation yes and other people's values and what that means to them yes and that's to me that's still like oppressive if you're telling someone exactly. well, what they should wear whether it's a hijab or, or not nothing. yeah, yeah then, exactly. then you're still oppressing their choice to advocate 100%. for themselves so like exactly and i'm really grateful you said that because like culturally we grew up with this idea that the west was trying to push this idea of like mm. what it means to be like uh, uh, you know an equal progressive society on communities that have just a very different approach to it mm. but the issue is the choice right mm. and, and the knowledge around and that's the freedom it, to make the issue is always the choice and that's what exactly. I'm saying about 100%. about the family like dynamic and it's like if you choose because you really enjoy that role and you like love to do those things then that's fine exactly no one wants to stop people from like expressing themselves the way that feels natural to them and that will work exactly. for some people exactly and i'm glad you said that and i really hope more people arrive at that conclusion mm. i still feel like we're lost in this idea that like i know it was weird i just found it weird growing up i was like okay it's because the, the subtext behind popular culture and what mm. we see online is that like in the issue of dress and and and, and gender is that less meant more progressive and more like open-minded mm. and like i don't think that's the case but that, to me that's like western capitalism yeah exactly because that like sex cells 100%. and like let's all fit into this western capitalist idea exactly. which means that women must be used in a certain way but why i find that weirdly misogynistic because it tells a woman that your only value is your sexuality yeah exactly right and like that for me is even more messed up so weirdly in a context where mainstream society is telling you that your worth is your sexuality putting on clothes is a form of resistance mm. right weirdly in that context for a lot of people wearing hijab that's why they do it mm. because the system the status quo is telling them X, Y, Z. They're like, no, F that. Like, control of our bodies. And for them, that's why it's liberating for them. Mm. But in the same jest, for a lot of people, telling men that I will not wear clothes in a given context, it's also liberating, mm. right? But the issue is, is that we're fighting control. And I think some people just haven't... I'm breaking social norms. Yes, and it, people like, haven't realised that Clothing yet, in like, general is such a, like, politicised thing. Like, it's, it's not just... Wear, the way women wear clothes or what they wear it's also the way men wear clothes and what they wear yeah, and yeah. when you see a man dressed in a certain way or, or a man dressed feminine or like yeah. I did a boot fair the other day and it was so amazing to see so like when there were young people like under the age of 12 with their parent there were so many like gender non-conforming kids where like just androgynous mm. and it felt so amazing to me to see like a little boy with nails painted the same color as his mom's yeah, and his mom's just accepted the way that he wants to present himself. Mm. Like, I feel like that youngest generation has such a different idea of what the norms of being a man or a woman or being non-binary 
is mm. in space that we just didn't have growing up. Yeah, fascinating. I, I, I think that I'm really interested in that whole space because like it's all uncharted territory mm. and like we have no reference what it's going to look like in the future. But like part of me is also feeling a bit terrified by it because like, you know, we're so, our, our generation is all about debunking systems, right? Mm. It's like the systems that we've kind of grown up in, blah, blah, blah. But I think what we also don't realize is that by breaking down systems on which we've existed in, we're creating new ones. Mm. So like, I actually think as human beings, you know, I, I geek out on like anthropology and there's this kind of, this anthropologist called Durkheim and he just basically yeah. says as like, as like as like humans, we operate in systems. Mm. It's impossible to take us out of those We like situation. see symbols, we want to see patterns, we want to put exactly. ourselves, yeah. And like, like dogs, they have their own social contexts in mm. which they have to operate by. And as humans, we have these systems in which we have to operate by. So we might be thinking we're liberating ourselves from one, but the reality is we're creating another, mm. which has its own, it oppresses other people in different ways. So like now we're entering into this space where like gender is being questioned, race is being questioned, how we identify is being questioned. Mm. So if all these like definitions and these systems are being challenged, like what are the, what is the problems that are gonna arise from that? Now I always wonder in case of children, because children, you nurture children. Mm. That's the role of a parent, right? Is to raise them in as stable an environment as you can. Now, what are the parameters in which we are raising these children by? What are the rules? Mm. What is sacred, what is not? What is defined, what is not? And we're questioning that. And gender is one of the things we're questioning. And like, um, I'm really interested in the conversation around, does a child have the ability to decipher or understand the complexities of the world um, at such a young age? A child already is, you know, imposed with all those structures of who they could or should be. And they'll still have to, at a certain point, mm -hmm. decide whether to disregard that or not. And maybe today's children are just being offered a more open mm -hmm. way to to understand that because we all go through different phases like I was a goth at one point then I thought I was an indie <laughs> then I was like yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean and then I was like understanding my black heritage and th at that point you know I was traveling to Saint Lucia and I was really understanding who I was right. and you'd go through that identity crisis until you get to the point where you're like okay I've tried all these things I know who I want to be mm. and I think children will always do that right and you'll always end up at being who you're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Got you, no, absolutely. So like in comparison to your, your upbringing, my upbringing was solid home, values, ethics, spiritual mm. tradition, but like understanding that there's a big bad world out there, go, but you've been rooted in something. Mm. So like that root will help you kind of decipher your morality and your ethics mm. and the world that you're operating by. But if there is, you know, to the point where we trust you that in any given situation you're in, you will, you will have this, this uh, code in which you've lived mm. by to help you kind of almost like glasses to kind of focus on like um, how you see the world right and like that was how it was different mm. so if, not to say that either is right or wrong but like I do felt like as a young person it grounded me in certain ways mm. that I found really useful it allowed me to like understand things on a level that was really useful growing up and like how much freedom should we be giving kids well I, I do think there's a conversation about how much information and like choice we have now that like we didn't have before mm. um in a in a generation like today's generation where you can access any information about anything anytime anywhere you can have most things you want like the same day or the day after yeah. like we're in a i think it can be quite confusing because there's so much choice which yeah. you didn't have before 100%. and i think that that children growing up today will have a different dilemma that we had and it yeah. will just be about resolving 
what those issues are what those issues are and I remember when I heard um, Angela Davis speak and and she was someone asked a question about when um, certain ideas are appropriate or feminism is appropriate and it becomes commercialized and or capitalized on and then it is diluted like what do we do then and she was very much like this is a fabric that is like forever going and there will always be things to unpick. Like mm. it's not like you have to dig deeper. It's like, okay, that's happened. And that's what will always happen because like a concept will always be consumed and capitalized on within the culture that we're in. How do you dig deeper from that? You got to that point yeah. and now take it a little bit more radical. What was radical then becomes commercialized and then you can get even more radical. Yeah, 100%. And if you think about where we are today, that's how every social mm. issue has changed over time. Things that were like, crazy back in the day like women having a vote yeah. is now like what yeah. how could that even be in question but like you know like you know whenever there's a force there's always an opposing force to meet it mm. and i think that really the rise of the alt-right mm. and then the amount of these alpha male podcasters youtubers oh my god but like they're they're, they're a reaction to mm. to this conversation right yeah yeah totally. because they're feeling like their maleness or their masculinity is being directly affronted by these conversations of challenging gender mm. etc and they want to have a voice exactly so like who's you know you know whose voice is legitimate in that context mm. right like like do they have a space does that does that opinion I mean, have a space to some extent they have a space in the sense that like it's good to know what they're thinking and i'm not saying that i think that like oh right people should be broadcasted spreading hate because i don't think that but i don't know if i knew that they existed in that way until they were there talking publicly and at least now i know what what i'm fighting yeah to some extent i just now 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 i'm seeing so much and i i i'm meeting a lot of people who i forgot what they call themselves but like they believe in traditional family yeah yeah i mean that whole thing you take what's his name yes exactly he's one of them so like and and women women buying into it also i mean right so like you know what makes something wrong or right in a given society where people are free to choose well i mean it, it there like, is though in terms of when it causes but, hate when it causes but they're not violence. What, what, they're not causing okay andrew he, he does for yeah sure, that hate guy but like other people might not be inciting hate but believe vehemently in these roles right and like that's a challenge because your children their children are going to be growing up in this metropolitan city like london mm. communicating with one another affecting each other's opinions and there will always be conflict and how they how they see each other but i guess it's about like you ever, like that's the point of everybody being able to have their own views about the world and their own unique way of expressing and being but it not being harmful or like mm. derogatory or based on a level of superiority and inferiority so, he, so here's where i hear this argument get techie because some people feel like it is it might be peaceful but where it becomes harmful is that your values in which you've raised your children is affecting the values of how my children are being lived. Mm. So for example, I've heard people in a debate context say like, I'm sending my kid to a school, right? And then let's say, for example, there are, um, you, you know, another child, another family's perspectives on mm. whatever, gender, race, whatever, is being imposed on that kid. Mm. So it becomes harmful because the work that they're doing at home is being challenged outside of the home. But I feel like that's a never ending conversation because when you live in any country, the cultural values of that country are being imposed on the people that are there. And we, we, everybody migrates across the world in their so like every country is multicultural at this point that we're always going to have to, to some extent, accept other people's cultural values. But we, mm. we've had one set of values for a really long time. And 
what we're doing now is suggesting what about this other way that we could try mm. and I think if I've tried your way for like 500 years I think you could try mine for mm. like maybe a year or two see if you like it mm. like we could see if it doesn't work or not yeah. like actually it's about sharing ideas and the the hegemonic main idea not being one that is based in toxic masculinity or like patriotism in a certain way or like mm. hyper masculinity or um patriarchy 100 i mean i think i've asked you everything that i could think of about we'd maybe would talk for 100 years yeah exactly if we didn't if we didn't stop somewhere but something that i want to ask everyone because i think you know the the podcast and my album is called the power in us and for me it's so much about how we have conversations how we learn from each other how we see someone else's power and it inspires us mm -hmm. to be the best version of ourselves. And I think that when you're empowered as a person, you do, you are inspired by the people that you see that, that emit something that like just draws you to them. And so I, I want to ask everyone, what is your unique power that you offer the world? My one power innate to me. Come on, be bold. Let's go. <laughs> sounds so cheesy. I think I'm quite a compassionate person. Mm. I think like it's compassion that defines every action moving forward. And um, I want to see more of it in the future and I want to give more of it. And I realize in a world that's so politically, socially hostile, that maybe it's the one thing we need more of. And it sounds simple, but maybe actually it's the simple things that are quite radical. And like So simple, but so effective. Yeah, it sounds cheese, but... I don't think it sounds cheesy. I think that Pisces. everybody... That Pisces energy. Yeah. Oh my God. Such an intelligent conversation and then straight to star signs. <laughs> Horoscopes. <laughs> hey, I'm a Taurus and I'm compassionate too. <laughs> i got a big heart. Wait, Taurus are really savage, aren't they? They're like really stubborn. Okay. But like big heart, obviously. Yeah, that's yeah. you. Don't that's try so it. you. I love that. Yeah. So <laughs> stubborn with a big heart. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to The Power In Us, a podcast based all around the topics of my debut album. If you love what you heard, please subscribe and tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Big love. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.